Hello, I'm Steve, the retired criminal investigator with the Office of Special Investigations, the Air Force's federal law enforcement agency. I'm Hannah, his daughter, the amateur true crime enthusiast. I have always been fascinated with my dad's job, and I love starting conversations with him to learn more. Join us each week as we share these conversations with you and discuss a real criminal case that piques our interest. Hello, welcome back to True Crime Archives. Happy Monday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I just have a quick announcement for you guys. Um, So today is the 27th. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I'm talking like it's Monday. No, no. Oh, yeah, when yeah. When this yeah, comes yeah, out, yes, yeah, today is the 27th, 27th, right? That you guys are listening to this. Next Monday is the 4th. And then the Monday after that is the 11th. So we are going to be taking both of those days off. We're going to be taking those two weeks off. I'm actually going to be traveling. Uh, one of my best friends is getting married. And so I will be in California uh, visiting family and for her wedding. So we are just going to take those two weeks off and, you know, we really want to put out good episodes for you guys and not like rush. So I'm sorry, but we will be back right after that and I'll still be active on social media. I'll share a post for my best friend too, Brianna. I don't, I don't, I don't think she listens. <laughs> yeah, no, that's your but friend who's getting married. So you guys yes. have been together for a long, long time. Yes. She has been one of my longest friends as military brat. I don't keep friends for very long usually because we move around so often, but uh, she's been in my life for like 11 years now, I think T- 12 years, <laughs> something like that. Like we just can't get away from not doing <laughs> math on this show and it's killing me. Yes. Anyway, All she's right. getting married. I'm very excited for her. And so we will just be taking those two weeks off, All right. uh, but I will, s- we'll still be active. I'll still be active on social media for you guys. And we'll be back on the 18th. Yes, sorry. We'll be back on the 18th. I wrote it, I wrote it down behind me to remember, and I, I forgot. Thank right, you. Cool. Yes, we'll be back on the 18th. All right, what do we got today? Today is actually a case that was recommended to me by a friend who is actually a friend of the our victim that we're talking about. I didn't clear it with her to say her name, so I'm not I'm I'm not going to say who my friend is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just you know, shout out to her. She's going to be listening. I know she'll hear this. Uh, she did want us to talk about this um, to spread a little bit more awareness of the main issue. So I'll have some statistics and some information to help people at the end of our conversation. But some of this information I did get from her. Today we are talking about Kathy Chow. I hope I am pronouncing her oh, yep. name correctly. Mm-hmm. So she was born on November 29th, 1990. Uh, it looks like in Washington where our story is taking place. I couldn't yep. really find any information saying otherwise, but so I'm assuming that she was born in Washington. In 2010 is when our story is taking place. She is just 19 years old. Uh, My friend described her as funny, kind, and just a loving person who was loved by her friends and many teachers at her school. She was a great student who was there for every one of her friends. Even if she was struggling with something, she would just be there for everyone. She loved art, video games, and alternative music and animals. And she absolutely just touched the lives of the people she knew and the community she lived in. So in April of 2010, when she suddenly suddenly goes missing, it is a shock to the whole community. How old was she? She was just 19. Oh, 19. Okay. Yeah, she was born in November. Our story takes place in April, so she was just just, just 19. turned 19. So this is mm-hmm. April 18, 2010. She's just vanished. Yes. So Rent, Renton, Washington. 
Renton, Washington, yes. So she is a senior at Lindbergh High School, and this is in Renton, Washington. Her class had actually gone on a field trip to Oregon mm-hmm. that day. I don't I don't know if it was that day or that weekend. It kind of seemed, again, mm-hmm. it was hard to, for me to find that information. It kind of seemed like it was like maybe a weekend trip, but also mm-hmm. a day trip. They got back that day, and then after coming home from the field trip, she decided to go out for a walk around 7 p.m. That's all that it, I, that's all the information that walk in the park. Is the par- yeah. yeah. And that is the last time she has seen or heard from. So around 9 p.m., Kathy's father calls her and the call goes unanswered. So he leaves a message about 30 minutes later. So 930. Kathy's father then receives a text message from her phone. Right. The text says <sighs> that she is at South Center, which when I looked it up, it was like a mall. But they mm-hmm. never called it a mall. They just called it South Center. Yeah, that's sometimes you, you, sometimes the big ones have just names like that, you know? Yeah. This is strange to her father, though, because she never texted them. He said that they were not very good with cell phones and with texting, and she mm. knew that. So it was she literally never texted them. He finds this strange. The next morning, they mm. report her missing. I guess I'll mention it now. So the text message says, because I have this in my notes, so I'll just mention it now. The text message says that she was at the South Center Mall. However, later on, cell phone records are going to reveal that that is not correct, that her cell phone was not in that area. So a little foreshadowing. Walk me through that text message again then. So 9 p.m., he calls her phone. Right. No answer. Goes straight to voicemail. He leaves a voicemail. 30 minutes later, he gets a text message. Just saying, hey, I'm at South Center. Which is unusual to him. Yes, because okay. she never texts him. Like, okay. she knew, I guess, yeah. that he was. they were not good with mm-hmm. technology. And this is in 2010. I mean, texting, I think we came found out was 2007 is when the first texting became a thing. So, yeah, this, this makes sense. <laughs> so, right, parents probably this time weren't grasping right, it, right? Three years the into kids, texting, yeah. Because I remember around this time... The year before, up to this time, we were in Okinawa, and we had the flip phones. You're going to me out. Yeah. What, what do you think I'm going to say? <laughs> I provided you with the list of... No, uh, is no. Is that what you're going to say? Yeah, yeah. No, no, you you did. You provided <laughs> me. You made a guide for me. We talked about this in one of our early episodes. Oh, okay. You made a guide for me about the texting lingo. The acronyms. The acronyms I forget what they're things, called. Yeah, the know. short text. Uh, you, you did that for me so I could have it when we had to do a search of a phone or something. But this is also the time. Do you remember I was scolding you for something and you were holding the phone behind your back? And I said. <laughs> no, it was underneath. It was under the table. No, I, this thing was like around your back. I said, are you texting? You you were t- literally texting without looking at the phone. Yeah, this was like 2010. Yeah. yeah. It, no, it was under the table. I had it under the table. So you kids yeah. caught on really fast. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's regardless. <laughs> we went off on a tangent. It's, yeah, it's unusual to receive a text message Was there from a her. language barrier, too, maybe? No. Okay. Not that I saw. I'm just thinking, chow, maybe the parents were emigrated from China or something, and it's it's possible, but... I never, didn't see any of that. Nevertheless, they weren't texters. Right. Texters. <laughs> <laughs> I love how we turn a noun into a verb, text. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Going off on a whole tangent. Okay. Yeah, well, sorry. We just kind of context. Okay, good. So All right. So now what happens? The next morning, April 19th, she is reported missing. Kathy is reported mm-hmm. missing. Now, 
they pull up the phone records. This is like one of the first thing that things that they do. And I have to assume in 2010, this is also still new for cell phones, at least pulling mm-hmm. cell phone records. But they, they pull them and it shows that on April 18th, so the day before, Kathy had communicated back and forth with her ex-friend Ezekiel Watkins 43 times, mm-hmm. which I guess kind of seems like a lot for them, too. Now, he is spoken to originally when this all happens, like a week after she's reported missing. So I guess they get this information. They find out that they he's her ex-boyfriend. So obviously they want to go talk to him, right? He does take a polygraph. A couple things I read said that at first he denies it and then he takes it. Well, I was unable to find if he passed or failed it, though. Okay. So they talk with him because he was the last one to have contact with her or he he texted her 43 times he was in pretty much constant contact so he's a right person and he's of her ex-boyfriend in, yeah so he's a person of interest so right they did they they talk with him or they just said hey you want to come in do you do something do you want to take a polygraph yeah it just said that they spoke to him so i'm yeah. assuming they just interviewed him to ask mm-hmm. him about her disappearance they asked him to take a polygraph he may not have even been a person of interest yeah they were just they were just trying to get information Mm -hmm. he does take a polygraph however i was unable to find if he passed or failed the polygraph not even in the appeals that i read well the police didn't release that so right so it's unsure okay he also states that he had received the same text message that her father had so he says that he had received a text message from her the same on april 18th that said that she was at what was it south center Mm mm-hmm um, and he provides an alibi. He says that he was spending the night with his friend John Carpenter all night. And his friend does corroborate the story. And they also speak to John's roommate at the time. So John Carpenter is the friend. He has a, He's living with someone, Giovanni Candelario. Yeah, we'll come to him later. Right. Nothing really comes of these conversations in the moment. My friend did tell me that they everyone was kind of aware that there was a history with Ezekiel and Kathy as being a little bit you know domestic domestic abuse being a mm. little bit of a abusive violent relationship is how, how did she, she know her again she went to school with her okay mm-hmm. all right they were friends who who corroborated what'd you say who who corroborated what for this guy john is Ezekiel's alibi and John corroborates John says yes he was with me all night he spent the night and that's, his that's, roommate Giovanni doesn't really say anything says yeah whatever anything, yeah. yeah so then I was sorry so I, the police I went talk to fast. John he talks to John and Giovanni mm-hmm. all right mm-hmm. um, and then I was just adding in that my fr- friend mentioned that everyone knew that this relationship was not very good that it yeah. was a little vo- vol- volatile Including teachers. Did she anybody said bring too. that to the police's attention? The, to the police attention? To the I, attention of the police. Yeah, I would assume so, I think. Okay. Again, I there wasn't like a whole lot of information on who the police spoke to. I mean that's it what, was all focused on Ezekiel. That kind of stuff is what pisses off these um activist groups. Like like everybody thinks something's going on, nobody says anything because they don't want to meddle. And then all of a sudden, somebody ends up dead, and they say, "Ah, oh, we kind of knew it was going on." Well, she told me that she had mentioned to them that she was going to go meet him somewhere, and mm-hmm. that her and a couple other friends and her teacher had told her not to. They had tried to kind of say, "You know, don't go do that. That's okay, a bad idea." I gotcha. Or at least go. So they they mm-hmm. advised her. I think she said the teacher said, mm-hmm. "Bring someone with you. Don't go alone." I, I said activist. That's the wrong word. Yeah, I was Ad- a little confused. Advocate. Advocate. Yeah, advocate. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she said they did try and, mm-hmm. you know, but at, 
for t- teenagers especially even people like adults in adult yeah. relationships you can't necessarily tell them you're right and it's, just it's, it's better it's easier said than done is yeah. what i'm trying to say like they kind of have to come to the conclusion on their own mm-hmm. to really leave someone unfortunately yeah okay which i mean sounds like she did like it, it says that throughout this it says that they they were ex boyfriend and girlfriend and yeah at this time we'll come, we'll so come that's to a good what point. she does next which i think was that, amazing of her so that's a good point right i mm-hmm. think that's context for our listeners at this time, he was the ex-boyfriend. Yes. Yes. And I, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. There is a new girlfriend involved. And my friend also told me that they knew that there was another girl involved, but they didn't know that she was his girlfriend. All right. So now I understand so why. So, yeah. so she wasn't in a relationship with him at the time. So right. there would be nothing for these people to go do at this point. They, right. Because she like, had already left him. She left him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, all right. That makes sense. But they did voice their concern saying. Yeah. Yeah. You I got gotcha. you. You shouldn't go alone. No. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. Okay. All right. So the police. They, they, they zoom in on this guy who texted her 43 times who was an ex-boyfriend. He says, no, I was home and my roommate. No. Friend. It's no. His friend. It's the my friend, friend mm-hmm. will cooperate. And, and he does. He does. Mm-hmm. The friend's roommate didn't really. He didn't, really he, didn't, he didn't say anything. He didn't have anything to offer. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, they are going to the cell phone records. It seems like really the cell phone records are all they have to go mm-hmm. on. Because remember, she's also still just a missing person missing. at this point. Yeah, yeah. Missing, right. This is all we have. Kathy's cell phone was showing that instead of being near South Center, like uh, the text had claimed, she was actually near 127th Avenue Southeast and Southeast 192nd Street in the Renton area. Mm-hmm. Now put a pin in this location because that location is going to be important later. So put a pin in that. All right. Pin's in it. Pin in the onion. <laughs> right. We peeled back the onion to a particular spot. And now Save you're going to pin it. Pin it. Right. <laughs> yes. Okay. May 1st, 2010, a search of the area where Kathy's phone was uh, pinging. Mm-hmm. Is done. It's a pretty big search. Remember, still the missing persons. So she yeah, was reported doing April nineteenth. Grid this searches is May 1st. or something. They got a lot mm-hmm. of people out there helping. Probably it's a big you search. Know, big, 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 big search. search right. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, nothing comes of the search. Mm-hmm. Nothing is found. Mm-hmm. Not no, a thing. No body. Nothing. From there, they continue to investigate. They continue to search. Police in King County search and rescue volunteers search a bunch of different areas where people thought that she might be. It's just like a big, massive search mm-hmm. that they're putting on. Uh, friends and family put up posters. They spread the word because, again, she's still just missing. So they're really trying to find her and have hope that uh, mm-hmm. she'll be found alive. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to fast forward a year. June 2011. 11. Mm-hmm. The roommate that I mentioned earlier, Giovanni Candelario. Mm-hmm. Again, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I think so. He actually is going to come forward with some information regarding... Ezekiel, Kathy's ex-boyfriend. Giovanni says that on April 18th, around 9 p.m., Ezekiel had actually come to his house to see his roommate, John Carpenter, who was, if you remember, Ezekiel's alibi, right? Mm -hmm. He says that when Ezekiel arrived at the house, he was covered in blood and mud. And Giovanni recalls there being a gash or cut on Ezekiel's lip. He said at the time he didn't think anything of this, and that's why he never said anything to the police. However, after this incident... Well, um, he didn't think anything of it because the guy lived on a farm. Right, and it just wasn't strange to him. Yeah, it wasn't strange. It could have been... I think they said he could have been with the animals or out in the work on the farm or something like that. 
Uh, I mean, still to me, that's kind of, I don't know. We'll see in a minute how why it's weird. He begins over the next few weeks, though, to notice in the next few months to notice some change in behavior to Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. He is just starting to act kind of crazy. Like his mood. Oh, he, he change in behavior is, by Ezekiel. Yeah, yeah. His, Ezekiel's behavior and his mood is there's just a drastic change in his mm-hmm. violence. He starts to get more violent until one day he actually tries to attack John the you know mm-hmm. Giovanni's roommate and Ezekiel's alibi he goes after him and I guess Giovanni confronted him about this and said I know what you did to that girl like you, you're not fooling me I know exactly what you did he said that when he confronted him about this kind of spooked Ezekiel and he like immediately left and it like obviously shook him up this obviously this statement obviously contradicts Ezekiel's alibi and what John said right right so what do the police do? What's the what's the next step? What are you okay, thinking? So, what's your next step? So he and this is how how many years that this is a year Just later? A year, yeah. And a he year goes and a couple he months. goes to the police and says, Look, I didn't think anything of this before. Mm-hmm. Though now in hindsight, I'm seeing a behavior change and it is kinda odd that he asked to borrow a shovel. You forgot that part, right? Yeah, sorry. You he, know, forgo- he he asked to, he asked John if he could borrow a he, shovel. He came in that night. Covered in dirt and mud, and he asked if he can borrow a shovel. Mm-hmm. So now, when he starts putting it together, he's starting to think, change of behavior. I kind of confronted him, and he didn't really deny it. And I think this is odd that he need would need a shovel since he works lives on a farm. I I think he had something to do with that uh, girl's disappearance. So I'm going to go to the police and share my thoughts. Mm-hmm. So the police are going to hone back in on on. Um, Ezekiel and John. Well, and now we're correct. Now they have he's the alibi. Oh, now he has. They have another witness. Another, mm-hmm. You know, go, they need to go back to him. So they have to sort of come up with a plan. And, and to be honest with you, there's no evidence because Mm-mm. this girl's missing. Right? Yeah, she's still missing at this so, point. So so now they have to come up with a plan on how. You know, the, the best thing you can do is probably approach them both separately. Yep, which is what they do. They bring. Well, them in what separately. I would do is I. I mean, I, this didn't happen, but, you know, they could do a pretextual phone call, uh, that that kind of thing, you know, have have Giovanni get on the phone and, and, and call this guy and say I'm nervous or, or maybe send him. Oh, and like tap the phones. Yeah, but Giovanni didn't know technically. All he knew was yeah, that he right. showed up yeah. that night and but covered he, he, in mud right. and dirt. But he could, they could send him back and uh, there's different things you can do. Try but, and get, him out, get it out of him. But yeah, but so what they're going to do is they're going to approach these two knuckleheads. Yep. So they bring them in. Uh, they bring John in first. It looks like, and he does end up kind of cracking. Call. That's yeah. a good call. Bringing John in first. Yeah, he ends up cracking. He says that Ezekiel did want to borrow a shovel. Kind of cracking. He says that Ezekiel did want to borrow a shovel that night to bury a duck. And the yeah. police don't buy this because, like we mentioned, Ezekiel lives on a farm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just said I had to laugh at that. Like, are you yeah. an idiot? You know, your friend lives on a farm. Yeah. Why would you use that as an excuse? Well, he's still covering up. Right. Yeah. So that was his first story, John's. Yes. Okay. I don't know. Did you see that he ended up confessing to it and telling the police? I I didn't see that until after Ezekiel's brought in. Yeah, I I I think. Well, let's finish the story because nothing happens to him. I think. I yeah. thought he, I thought they said, hold on. At some point he ends up confessing, but I don't know if it, I couldn't tell if it was that day or if after it's Ezekiel's brought in because Ezekiel's brought in later on July 6th. Now, he, he did 
you haven't got to it yet, but he did. Com- he did confirm. Yeah, I know he confirms it, but I don't. I couldn't find if it was that day or if it was after Ezekiel confesses. Does John no, confirm it, it, it before it, or after? No, it takes it takes him a couple times. That it, okay, that's, that's not specific, but it takes him a couple times to confirm that Ezekiel wanted him to help wanted him to help him bury a body. Yes. All right, but that it did take at least another another go run at the go round from the police. Right, because Ezekiel is brought in on July sixth, and yeah. spoiler alert, that is also the day he's arrested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did say while detectives are interviewing, Ezekiel does end up saying that he had lied, and him and Kathy had spent a few hours together on April eighteenth. And again, spoiler, his story is going to change a bajillion times. Yeah, so there, there, this is no easy thing for the police. They're doing the the mental dance with them now. Mm-hmm. So they're pulling out all the training and tactics that they're allowed to use in a subject interview. So we'll get there in a yeah, second. <laughs> yeah, my favorite part, if anybody hadn't figured out yet in this whole year. It's coming up. <laughs> uh, so he does say that him and Kathy had spent a few hours together on April 18th, 2010, and they had even had an argument about his new relationship. Oh, so I mentioned... Let me, let me slide an argument in there. Let me keep giving him a little bit of information, yeah. Right, so... He did tell them, and some other friends did corroborate this story, that Kathy had gone to his new girlfriend and warned him about his temper and his anger and his violence and how he was a violent person sometimes. So it is, I did see it in multiple places where multiple people said Kathy did go to her and warn her, essentially. So this conversation, this argument is, you know, him confronting Kathy about trying to ruin this new relationship. And he told the police this, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So now the, poli- the, the police are starting to wrap this up. Now they Michigan, have, like, what do they have now? Motive. Oh, yeah, yeah. I couldn't yeah. think of what you were trying to Come get on, to say. Come on, my little sleuth. Motive. No, they sorry. got motive now. So they're, this is great. He's wrapping it all up in a, in a ball as he's kind of yeah, he spitting it out a little bit. He gave it to them, too. Yeah, he goes, I, she told my new girlfriend I'm a violent person. And that's just not true. I didn't. <laughs> that's what we argued about, right? Yeah. So now they're thinking, oh, wow. He just gave us motive. Okay, let's keep going. He wants to talk mm-hmm. to us. We'll keep going. So now they need. To, okay, and he so does th- say he goes. We did have an argument, but I didn't hurt her. That's what he says. Yeah. All right. So how do they? I mean, they got to get creative here in the interview box. Do you want to tell everyone what they did? They brought a. So they just had a shovel. They probably went down to Home Depot, bought a shovel. I'll tell you why this is tricky too. You're telling me they didn't just have a shovel chilling around somewhere? They, they might have. They might have. And they wrapped it in a big evidence bag and they brought it in and when they first brought it in he flinched mm-hmm. he, he flinched so they're like oh mm-hmm. we're on to something that's so, the reaction it, they wanted yeah it, and it wasn't here's the risky thing about this because you're allowed to do this you're allowed mm-hmm. to fake them out how did what I can't figure out is how they know what kind of shovel he used you know what I mean I'm hoping they I'm hoping they knew like a spade shovel you know what I mean maybe like, John at this point John had started Maybe they yeah. asked John because John yeah. has already come clean about him wanting right. to borrow so a this, shovel. So he probably asked. They probably asked him. Right. I'm I'm willing to bet because this is all investigative technique that they're not going to share. Right. I'm willing to bet that at this point, uh, John has come clean and told describe what the shovel was. Mm-hmm. They might even said look like this one, you know, and they and they use because they wanted to have a shovel. Yeah. They probably had it wrapped up nice so you couldn't necessarily see the whole thing, you know. And uh, so they brought it in. He's now he's nervous. He thinks, he thinks they got the shovel, with his fingerprints on it. You know. Mm-hmm. Now this only works if you know that there was th- that the shovel was used, right? Right. 
if you try to fake out a bad guy and say, hey, we did a search of the house and I found your fingerprints, so tell us what happened. Well, guess what? If you didn't get the fingerprints, you, you could be in trouble because if that person wasn't at that place or, or wore gloves or something, they're like, oh, well, you don't have anything. No, nothing you didn't find, right? So you have to, like in that example, you would say something like, so we're going to do a search, and we, I got the, the fingerprint experts out there now. Is there any reason why we would find your fingerprints uh, out there mm-hmm. at the house? And now they have to start rationalizing. So same thing here. They had to know what what type of shovel it was, you know. Right. They come in this big, long, six-foot shovel, and he had like a little little teeny shovel or something, you know. Yeah. You have to know. So they definitely knew. John probably definitely told them. And 100% we knew that there was a shovel involved because we have two witnesses. Right. That said he was asked to use a shovel. Oh, yeah. So they're pretty confident that they that there was a shovel involved. So that was a good move. Some more good. Yes, they lied. That yes, excellent, excellent investigative work. And yes, they lied. And um, you're allowed to. So <laughs> to a certain extent, right? To a certain extent, right? You can lie. Oh, not to a certain extent. You can just lie. You can lie. Yeah. Y- you're right to a certain extent, right? Yeah. I can't sit down in front of you and say, "Hey." I have your mother locked up in jail and then you're going to say anything because you know, you love yeah. your mother or something like that. But yeah. Yeah. That seems a bit, but that's not necessarily wrong. Like you, you can lie. Cops can lie. Investigators can lie. Yeah. But you have to be, it's what a lot of people don't know. You ha- it has to be calculated. It has to be, mm-hmm. you know, a good ruse. It has to be tied to some evidence or something. So there is a case that, uh, I don't have it completely quoted cause it's really not that important to this, but there is a case that uh, someone appealed on that specific thing, and they actually won their appeal because of uh-huh. the cops lying. But they did it in a totally different way. But Ezekiel later appeals, and he brings up that case. He cites that case. But yeah. that was different circumstances. So in that case, it didn't work out. But again, you know, if you really. want to look into the Ed Kemper case, so the the behavioral science, you know, the FBI criminal profilers, this is from Mindhunter. From right. If you read the book Mindhunter or if you watch the awesome, awesome Netflix show that I'm waiting for episode for season three to come out, by the way. Yeah, if you guys remember, Dad's a big Mindhunter fan. Um, it, the Ed Kemper case is a case where the FBI started to use these tactics. They started, you know, they had, mm-hmm. he had raped and killed, um, it's a band, a girl that was in the, you toss, I remember his you toss name, up, but I don't You remember. toss up the... Um, oh, um, not the band, but the... The other, baton. Yeah, the baton type the, thing. The twirlers. So, I don't so know they, their name either. So when they interviewed him, they put behind uh, behind the FBI agents, the, you know, the hat and the, the outfit and the baton and stuff like that. They did that intentionally to get him, him all worked up and confessed. So it started during those times that, you know, the, the profilers are the ones that, that started to develop those those techniques that you could use things to, you know, elicit responses Identify, and yeah. stuff. You know, I used to, did I tell you this? I think we talked about this in the last episode. I used to always go in with a folder, just a bunch of blank papers in there. No, you were telling me this off, oh, off okay, mic. Okay, yeah. tell this story because this was. So I'd go in, well, years ago, I'd go in with like a folder, folder with a bunch of papers on it and it would put like case file or something and. Sometimes we would take in just 
VHS tapes. This is a while ago, right? VHS tapes, and you you see him doing this, look looking looking look at him. You know, depending on what it was. Oh, but thinking I, it was like surveillance. Yeah, right, right. Or I have like an evidence bag with like some evidence tape, or a plastic bag with some evidence tape, kind of half half sticking out of the folder. That 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 kind of thing. You know, yeah, I did that all the time. I made up. Uh, no, I didn't make up evidence. I. But you, yeah, made it look like it, I had a lot of evidence. Yeah, and I never, you know, you don't say anything. You just go in there and and just pretend and yeah. pretend. Another thing I used to do, I just put two pieces of paper on the wall right next to the next to the subject, and I say I draw a big squ- this this report is the report that you the report that I write. Where you don't say anything, and I put like three lines on. It. I said, "This is this is the report that goes up to the to the commander." Three lines on it. So I said, "This report over here is the one where I give you a chance to tell your story, and you tell me your story, your side, why you did what you did, and all those details." And I put like fifteen, twenty lines on that piece of paper, <laughs> and I say, "So this paper, the commander has all these line, all this information to make a decision." Versus just these three lines that they have to make a decision, which which one, which one do you want to go to your commander? You know, right? Because as a reminder, you were in the air force doing this, right? The so commanders were yeah, action authority. It it, it depends. That that's might. that's interesting. I feel like that would only work in the military. Oh, it worked setting. maybe one time. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it didn't. You know, that's cool. See, I'm hearing this these stories the uh, like for the first time with you guys, so. That's pretty cool. Mm. It's weird to picture you being in the like room interrogating someone. Mm. Loved it. I can tell. Yeah. So anyway, okay, and that's and that's why you're so good. That's why we're doing this. So you can he's give your insight. all right, but these guys were good too. When they brought that in, he flinched. Yeah, great and detective he, work. He ends up confessing, right? Um. So they bring in the shovel. <laughs> he flinches right away. So yes, after this, he be- quickly begins to tell the detectives what happened the night of April eighteenth. And it's uh, he plotted it for days. Yeah, I'm going to premeditated. I want to get through it saying what happened. You know, we're going to report the facts. But again, I Mm -hmm. want you guys to keep in mind. The person and the friends and family and everything. Mm -hmm. So, yes, he does say that he contemplated killing her for a few days. He was thinking about luring her to the same area. Basically, he did stab her in the neck after a struggle. She was trying to fight him off. And she ends up getting the knife at one point, and that's how he gets the big gash or cut on his lip because she is able to get the knife for just a quick second. Mm -hmm. He ends up stabbing her in the neck, and then he takes her shoes. He goes to get the shovel from his friend. He has his friend John come out to help him bury her, and they don't dig a big enough grave and they end up having to break her legs mm-hmm. to uh, put her, bury her. And it's in like a swampy area in a wooded area. They cover it with, they cover her with some like board, some wood, some trash, and then like a bunch mm-hmm. of like the yeah. dirt and mud over it to kind of conceal her. And this is actually over in an area of 124th Avenue Southeast near May Creek park in Newcastle. So if you remember the area that I mentioned to you earlier, this was like literally right next to it. Mm-hmm. So close to it. They yeah. literally just missed it by not very much when they were originally searching for her. And, and he said he did this because 
he wanted to stop her from interfering with his new relationship. Right. Which, by the way, so I, I mentioned he took her shoes. He was going to give those sh- her shoes to his new girlfriend. And he actually ends up confessing to his new girlfriend what he did. Yep. So he, he tells her what happened. I didn't see anything that said how she felt or what her response was. It just said that she he told her. Yeah. But at this point, they got a confession. And they have his friend, John, corroborating that, yeah, he came in and got me and asked me to, to bury the body. Okay, yeah, so he confessed. Uh, him and John end up leading law enforcement to her body, which is where yep. I mentioned where they found her. Mm-hmm. They they do end up kind of explaining it to her, to them, and they are able to find her. Ezekiel is charged with first-degree murder. He is convicted and sentenced to 27 years in prison, and John was granted immunity in exchange for his testimony. Right. What this tells me is that whether they went at the bad guy first or not, Ezekiel first, and maybe he he wasn't given much, they had to go after John. They needed John because they didn't have any evidence, right? Yeah, none. So they went after John, and you know he probably he started. They started wheeling and dealing, and and you know at some point they realized that his testimony was going to be important and the prosecutor said, okay, we'll give you immunity, you know? Yeah, because even with just Giovanni, Mm -hmm. Giovanni only saw and heard, like, him asking for the shovel. He doesn't, he was just... Remember, he's getting immunity from helping him bury the body, helping him, you know, that kind of thing. Right, which I've definitely seen in other cases. Some people that do that, they get a lot of time, too. Well, people have gotten immunity for, for murder, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. Do you know? I just meant for the big mob case, Sammy the Bull Grav- uh, Gravano. He was John Gotti's number one guy. He killed more people than than most, and he got immunity to testify against John Gotti. I don't know who any of those people are. Yeah, it's a big. Maybe our listeners will or not. Anyway, so so yeah, it's it's it sucks, but it it's, it happens. So yeah, I'm sure they spoke to her parents but and family about it too. He's got 27 years, and this happened in uh, 2000. 2000- so 11. he's convicted, yeah, 2011, 27 years, 38, 2038. Mm-hmm. And he'll be... He was 22. Yeah. He was 22 when she was 19, so yeah, I don't... Again, like math, almost 60? Yeah, yeah, something like that. All right. So yeah. And they found the body and the, and the family was able to get closure on that. Yep. That is mm-hmm. good that they were... I'm glad they were able to find her. Yeah. Now, uh, I mentioned... At the beginning, I was going to have, you know, some information for you guys with all of the anger and the violence that we talked about, you know, the domestic abuse between in a relationship. I did just want to say that if you know anyone experiencing domestic abuse, whether in high school or not, uh, because if you didn't know teenagers around 16 to 20 are actually uh, experiencing the highest percentage per capita of domestic abuse in relationships. A lot of domestic Mm -hmm. abuse happens in uh, teenagers in a study of eighth to eight to ninth graders, 25% reported being victims of dating violence, which is just absolutely sad. It is crazy. Yes. Um, but if you know anyone or even yourself are experiencing this, you can call the national domestic violence hotline at one 7233 And these calls are confidential and personal, and it is a safe space. You can learn more about recognizing the signs of abuse and you can go on their to their website at it's just www.thehotline.org. Um, and then I'll post all of these on the, mm-hmm. good. the Twitter That's and good. Instagram too. That's good information. Yeah. If you're yes. if you're young and think you're in love and the boyfriend, it's probably the boyfriend. It's mm-hmm. not once in a while it's the girlfriend, but mm-hmm. and the boyfriend's just 
talking bad. Like they obviously was brought were brought up wrong. Get get them get away from them. It's not it's not love. It's not forever. Get get away from them. You'll you'll so you'll work through whatever you're feeling in your heart, but you'll be alive to do it. Yes, right. But as I was telling you earlier, you know, things are easier said than done. Mm-hmm. So there are resources to right. help you or anyone you know. Yep. Uh, and like I said, this case was recommended to me specifically with the hope that we put this information out there um, and it can help stop this from happening from anyone else. Because like, like we said, Kathy got away, but it still ended up mm-hmm. not a, a happy ending. So right. we want to get this information out there. So it could potentially save someone mm-hmm. and stop someone. So awesome. that is all we have for this one. And again, as a quick reminder, we are taking off the 4th and the 11th. We will be back with another episode on the 18th. 18th, yeah. Yep. See you in a few weeks. Talk to you in a few weeks, actually. <laughs> I know. I, always, I used to say see you. Yeah. All right. So if you guys are enjoying listening to us every week you can go ahead and give us a rate and review on apple podcast you can also give us like a little rate on anchor.fm too we see all of those uh go ahead and subscribe to us and you can follow us on instagram at true crime archives podcast and we are on twitter at tc archives pod and that's where we put all the updates and information and we will talk to you guys on the 18th later bye